Good evening and to our neighbors and listeners. Coming to you from the 215 here in Germantown, you are listening to the award-winning Info Hub Hour with Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. The Info Hub Hour is all about news and engagement in Germantown, so you can check out what's going on by visiting our website at germantowninfohub.org. Today's show is a bit different as there will not be multiple segments. Instead, today neighbors will hear me in conversation with a Germantown neighbor and Philly transplant about their interesting project. For our next episode, Maleka will be back and will resume to our normal format. But now, let's move on to today's conversation. He's a self-proclaimed country boy with roots in Philly, and he's been taking what he's been learning from the city to build himself a legacy. He is David Cheney Jr., and he is the founder and editor-in-chief of the independent Black-owned media company, Noir Life Media. Formerly Noir Life Magazine, Cheney adopted media because of their expansion from being a primarily print publication to the use of audio and video, which includes the podcast Noir Life Presents. Noir Life exists to share diverse perspectives and narratives across the Black diaspora. With the company's upcoming second birthday in August, I sat down with the luminous 30-year-old from Enfield, North Carolina to talk Philly, his career, the ups and downs, and running an independently owned publication. The former East Carolina University pirate was very open and candid about his thoughts. Let's hear them now. So I'm sitting here with David Cheney, who is the founder of Noir Life, which is a media company. Um, and David lives here in Germantown. Isn't from Germantown, but lives here in Germantown. So David, how about you just introduce yourself? Hi, I am David Cheney Jr. I am originally from North Carolina. Yes. And I have been in Philadelphia for about nine years now. Um, and I've been in the Germantown area about three years, give or take. Um, I, get, I don't know if you want to count the pandemic, but uh, yeah, so I've been here about three years in Germantown area. Um, I mean, Noir Life is, is my baby, honestly. I mean, I started mm-hmm. it in the middle of the pandemic, like only a couple months in. So um, definitely is a labor of love. Uh, I don't do it alone, though. Uh, I had wonderful, amazing team to start out with, with yourself included, uh, and just some other amazing people who uh, helped me put it all together and make it run. So that's just a little bit who I am. And I'm an educator, too. So education pays the bill. Noir life is what I love. Mm, how'd you get into education? Woo! You ever seen, like, a swim class? With the babies and they throw the baby into the water. Yeah. That's what it was. Oh, child. <laughs> so my dad, so the funny thing is, my dad is definitely an educator at heart. Um, I grew up watching my dad doing mentoring and stuff like that. Okay. And I used to swear against it. Like, I'll never do that. Like, I'm not going to be stressed out and running around, helping people out. Like, this is too stressful. Like, looking at him made me stress, you know? Right. Um, but then I saw the why behind he, why he did it and the passion he had for it. And it wasn't no fake or phony stuff. Like, he really loved the work he did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to tell people I fell into it <laughs> when I was about, I'll say 19, 20 years old when I was in college. 
um, part of my scholarship was to tutor kids in the local community. Um, shout out to East Carolina University, ECU, go Pirates. Okay. Um, I was part of a scholarship program, and there was a section of the city called West Greenville. Okay. And West Greenville was the equivalent to, I guess, what Philadelphia would call like North or the Bottoms in West Philly. Okay. So it was like it was the it was the hood. It was the hood. It was the hood. It was the hood. But everybody we can knew admit everybody. That. We love that though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was a little community center called Building Hope. And I worked as a after-school floating assistant tutor or teacher, mm-hmm. and I wasn't there all the time. I would do like a, I would do like a couple of hours a week, um, but I fell in love with it, like working with the kids, working with the uh, different teachers, and that was just you know while I was in school. Once I graduated, I was like, well, I'm gonna find a job. I'm gonna do something like. You know, I want to be the next Ed Bradley, Barb Walters, Tim Smiley. Like, oh, I'm to be like them. Yes, know? come on, twenty twenty. Yeah, You've seen it, twenty twenty. This is, is twenty twenty with David. <laughs> you know, I, yes. I, like, I saw myself doing it, but I had to realize there was a road that I had not taken um, the proper channels to get there. And so, what I did was I took a seat back and um, I just had to reevaluate. And part of that. Is how education came into place. I started my own little tutoring company. Okay. Out of my mom's kitchen, literally. Hey. And I was tutoring like family members or friends who kids like needed help with math and reading and stuff like that. Um, That's that double edged sword. It's right? like that hustle, but it helps that, people. It it's that helping hustling. Yeah. yeah, it's helping and hustling. And <laughs> from there, my dad called me one day because um, me and my mom was kind of in a rift, not a serious rift, but it was like, you know, when you have a, a an adult child staying at home. They have a college degree, but it's like, what are you doing? Like, going to interviews, but you're not getting a job. So, what's happening? And it can feel like that's like, in, in their mind, it can feel like you're not doing much. Yes. But they don't realize yes. the stress that you're really under. The stress that I was under. And then, I can admit it now, but I think I was definitely, not. I think, I know it was definitely a form of depression because it was like, damn, I can't get a job? Right. Like, I done went to school, I done put all this work in, and I done did all this community service, and I got heard from everybody, like, oh, you graduated in two years, because I did early college track. Right. So, you know, we was under the belief that you graduate, you know, 18 with your two-year degree, go into a four-year college, be done by 2021. The world is yours. It's your oyster, right? (laughs) And it was a struggle. And so my dad called. And told me to come up to Philly. Okay, so we at Philly. This yeah. is how you got to Philly, man. This is how I got to okay, Philly. Okay, period. Thank you. You already going ahead in my questions. Let's and go. Let's keep it moving. Keep it moving. Philly. <laughs> and I always tell people this, and they crack it when I tell I said, Philly was a culture shock for me. Ah, I can imagine, though. It was a culture shock. And you're a country like, boy. You, yeah, I'm a country boy. So, for me, I was very used to, like, not saying that Philly doesn't have community, because Philly definitely has community. Because I feel so loved by everybody I've come in contact with. Well, not everybody. We'll, get, we'll dig into that later. But there, there's such a deep-rooted community in Philly mm-hmm. that you have to go deep to find it, to be honest. And so I found it, but sometimes it was a hit or miss. But when I first moved to Philly... I jumped right into the human services. Like, I was working, I was starting as a volunteer at a shelter. And then I'll never forget, um, and I, I was just on his podcast recently, um, my, my former supervisor. And he said, 
um, you know, I like the work that you do with the kids and the mm-hmm. co-workers love you. He said, would you like a job here? Like, you're hired. You know, it was almost like that. And I said, well, I done apply for it. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put me in on that next so, uh, I'm good with chaperone and trends. Okay. Like, I'm good with programming. But, like, right. but my dad was like, fool, that's a job. Just to hold you over until, you know, yeah. you get where you want to be. And uh, one thing I learned sometimes, and I tell my students this now, Sometimes you have to do what needs to be done in order to get where you want to be. Yeah, survival. survival it's very much a survival. Right? We all get into stuff that we didn't necessarily like see ourselves doing or see our over the, the, the shoes that we're in. We didn't see yes. ourselves in them, you know, until we got to a certain point, right? And what I didn't realize was at that time when I was doing that, it was literally setting the foundation for the rest of my life in Philly, for the rest of the decade, because it's almost a decade. This should be nine years, that should be 10. Um, I started a library at the shelter. Mm. Uh, me and my friends actually, uh, I had co-workers that actually donate old books they had in their homes. And I had some people that I knew that worked at the free library because I was one of those weird people. Like, I would go sit in the library sometimes. I mean, hey. You know, some I, people I was getting weird. the city. Shoot, we didn't have air conditioning at home, so hey, I went to the library sometimes. I mean, we had it in the room, but you weren't allowed to turn it on until it was time to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, that was one of my outlets. And then um, I went to, I started taking the kids on college tours. So we had a group of kids who weren't enrolled in school, and this was a teen shelter. Um, so they weren't allowed in school just yet. Like, mm-hmm. there was still paperwork and stuff that had to be done. They were in foster care. And um, I said, I told the teacher who was working there, I said, why don't we start taking them on, like, college trips? And so that's what we started doing. So we started out with having, you know, taking them to CCP or to Temple or to LaSalle. And I'm the type of person, because once again, I'm a Shout out to boy. LaSalle. Explorers always. <laughs> I'm just playing. I mean, that is my alma mater. But, but it's funny. We probably, you know what? I probably bumped into you and didn't even know a problem was on campus with my group of kids. Possibly. Kids, it was me and my loud kids. I was loud with them. It I was there from what? 2014 to 2019. Oh, yeah. We definitely, mm-hmm. yeah. We definitely came onto the campus around the time. And, you know, the funny thing about it, um, I, I would take them on the trips, right? And I remember, I'm the type of, because once again, I'm a country boy. I'm a diehard, southern boy, country, hospitality. If I eat, you eat. Absolutely. That's how this works. Mm, that's the motto. So I would literally, like, I would tell the people, like, I'm taking these kids out on a trip. And it wouldn't be a whole lot, maybe like four or five kids. Um, that were willing to go and didn't mind going out of the building. But I would say it's four or five kids. I'm, I want them to have a full experience. Exactly. And so, you know, I would, you know, kind of bamboozle or wine or, you know, raise hell sometimes um, to get the money from the petty cash and be like, yeah, we're feeding the kids today. Have a great day. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. You know, and so fast forward to now what I do as an educator, college and career readiness. It's so funny how I was already doing that work and didn't realize it. Exactly. I didn't realize it. And, and what I tell people, and this is what I've learned in the nine years and almost 10 years of the work that I've done, whether it's human services, education, exposure and experience is everything. People don't know what they don't know. So when you expose them to things, when you let them experience it, it changes their perspective on life. Like, I can do that. Mm-hmm. I can be that. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much about 
you know, yeah, it's some resources and some stuff we got to get together. And, you know, I don't have this or the kid may not have that. But at the end of the day, if you just expose them, it changes their perspective on everything. Mm -hmm. So that's one of my main things as an educator. My thing is making sure that students have an experience. Because education, and I say this all the time, this is my quote that I coined. I'm going to get it copyrighted. Okay, come on, Alex. Um, education <laughs> should not be an experiment. It's an experience. Okay. Come on, baby bell hooks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, come on. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. Yes. So, you was talking about being here in Philadelphia. You said that was a culture shock for you. So, like, how do you like it? And, I mean, specifically, Germantown, right? Yeah. Like, this is Germantown Info Hub. Like, tell us what your experience has been. Can I just say that I love Philly? So, when I say that I love Philly, I it's something about Philly. It's just different. Like, I, I, I can't say I lived anywhere else outside of North Carolina, but Philly is the first place I lived in outside of North Carolina and I visit other places. I've been to DC, I've been to Baltimore, I've been okay. to New York. Oh, so you've been um, all metropolitan. You know, yeah, I've been to LA, you know, I've been to San Antonio. Yeah, it's all Atlanta, around the world. So, I, yeah, yeah. You know, I've been to you know, well, I haven't been to a lot of countries. I went to one country, um, Belize on a mission trip. But oh. here's the thing. It's something about Philly. It's like even when you leave Philly, I, I I've had friends that have left Philly, literally left Philly Go and do other things like a career, start a family, whatever. And then somehow or another, they're back in Philly. <laughs> I have a friend who kind of was like that. So my friend was like a travel tech dialysis person. Okay. And so they went to different like dialysis um, centers around, you know, around the country. Yeah. And basically like train other people while working there, specifically at different sites. So he, at first, when he got to Philly, he's also from the South. He's from Mississippi. And mm. so when he got here, he was like, oh, I can't stand it. Can't stand it. Hate it. Hate it. And now that he's gone because he's on to his next assignment, he was trying to actually come back here because he didn't realize what? how much he missed it. And That's I was like, wild. right. And I was like, it's so crazy how so many people give Philly like this really crazy rap. So it was the opposite for me. Okay. So I had to get to know Philly. So I always laugh and my family laughs at me because they said, we have never met a person that was not born and raised here, but yet knows every nook and cranny, knows who's who, where it's where. Like, and, and that's because, I'm going to tell you what happened. When I first got here, like, was making residence here, my grandparents brought me, I think between them and my dad, they brought me my first, um, what is it, Transpass. Ah, yes, come on, Transpass. Probably my first Transpass, and it was a weekly. What they got, I was living house what they got now? What's those things called? The key passes now. Yeah, key passes now. We have yeah. key passes now. You know, we didn't moved up. In the the whatchamacallit. Uh, <laughs> so, I'll never forget. I remember because we lived in North Philly, and we lived on the main street. We live on the main street. So, I was like, oh, just catch this bus straight downtown. Takes me right into um, Central City. Man... City Hall, Market Street, Broad Street, Old City, University City, Chinatown. Like, I was like a kid in a candy shop. Hmm. And it was, just, and I was just, well, I had a couple of dollars in my pocket. So, you know, I'm a foodie too. So I would go to different places and try to find different things. And um, I had friends at the job who were also transplants to Philly. 
Okay. Some of the so it was a mixture. Some were transplants, and then half of us were like half of them were Philly natives, like born bred, like like me. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, family that's been there for a minute, you know. And so we started hanging out. So we started doing like um, Friday nights when you know when everybody got paid, Mm -hmm. we hit up the bars, we going out to eat, going to Seven Eleven, get snacks. Man, Mm -hmm. well, see, yeah, Seven Eleven. Because Wawa wasn't downtown deep like it is now. So it was 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. But I had a friend that lived in Chinatown. Okay. And so we would, Davis was our spot. Davis okay. Davis and 10th and, uh, what is it, 10th and Race? Yeah. Man, them, uh, what is it, hot, uh, spicy chicken wings with the jalapenos cut up over them? You couldn't tell me nothing. Ah! I tell, that was my <laughs> spot. Like, I would get off work. Or, because at that time I was working, like, three jobs. I was working at the shelter the pharmacy, and I was working for a Rock On Philly magazine. Oh, child. You was like... I was... Let me tell you something. You was giving diaspora. Yes. You know, the wax across the diaspora, they be working. If there was a job (laughs) to be had, I I had it. I was looking, I was making money, and what happened, I fell in love with the city that way. You know, I was going to concerts, I was going to plays, and, you know, friends would show me their part of where they grew up at. And I was like, wow, because everything looked different. Like you, like just the drive, a short drive, and you're in a different neighborhood, and it was a different demographic and a different culture. Exactly. And I thought it was so dope for it to be. Philly is not so. It's funny when people say, "Oh, it's such a big city." I'm like, it is, but it has a small town vibe because when you start going into these neighborhoods. These are generations and generations of people that know each other. And have been here. And that's what people don't realize when we say, like, the world is so small. Like, that's pretty much what we mean. Because in a city like Philadelphia, where there's over, what, one million people? Yes. And so many people are, like, interconnected and know each other. It's so interesting to see how those, like, just different bonds and those different relationships and those different, like, family histories go back. Oh, yeah. Um, Whenever you trace them. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. But I, I love that about Philly. And... Um, I think it's funny. That's what's kept me here. I mean, during the pandemic and, um, so let me, okay. let me ask you this. Go ahead. Do you, do you see yourself moving from Philly anytime soon? So I, I have a plan. I have a, I have a, I have a little plan laid out. Come on, 401k. Come um, on. So what's the plan? So Man, what a plan. Is, my plan is to, you know, go back and get my master's, finish that up. Cause I started a few years ago, but you know, the thing called COVID showed up. Okay. Um, so my plan is to go back, finish my master's. And this is, a lot of folks are surprised when I tell them this, but to also get my driver's license. Oh, you don't have a driver's license. I just don't have a driver's license. Me I either. A I have a permit. I don't even have a permit. So. Uber everywhere. Everybody. <laughs> exactly. It's like, when you go everywhere, you're either on Uber or SEPTA or regional rail. It's like, do I really need like a car but I said I was going to get one just to like have it like I guess for emergency purposes <laughs> like especially if I travel home right so you know I don't have to wait on people back home to say hey I need a ride here or hey can you take me here I can just you know grab my mom's car or you know my grandpa's car and be like hey I'm out let me go do this blah 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 but um yeah I think that's two of the things that are, are on my goal list. Before I leave Philly, this is what I want to accomplish. Yeah, because if you can drive here in Philly, you can drive anywhere. Who are you telling? <laughs> Who you are you telling? Like, the, it's like an obstacle. It's like Mario Kart here. 
<laughs> Not Mario Kart, y'all. Sega Genesis. It's like Mario Kart. It's so, that's just for me riding a scepter. So I can only imagine what it would be like with me behind the wheel. But no, um, Philly definitely has a special place in my heart. So, so that's why I've been here this long. Okay, okay, okay. So you're the founder of a media company. Yes. Slash online publication. Yes. Talk about it. What is it? Ooh. Noir Life. Noir life. Give the uh, girls life. What is noir life? <laughs> so it's funny. So I have a friend, Falami, and Falami and I met. It was almost like um, you heard the people say kindred spirits, kindred souls. Absolutely. We were actually at a job interview. Um, I was I was already working at this particular company, this organization, and she was coming in to come back to work there, and we were going for the same position. Okay. But they had multiple positions. So it wasn't like we were vying for the same job. They had enough room for both of us. And we were there sitting in the room just talking. And um, now I'm going back. This is like 2018 we're talking. Okay. So from there, we just created this friendship, this bond. Because her family was from Virginia. Uh, Even though she was born and raised in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and then me being a North Carolina boy, she just kind of took me under her wing, like you Southern kids, like you know, I'm one of her Southern little family members. And um, around 2020, okay, literally, uh, I want to say a month or two into the pandemic, so maybe around April, May, not around May, right? Honestly, around this time of the year, uh, I was in Save a Lot across the street from where I was living. From where I live, and I'll never forget this. I was going to get Oreos. People always ask, "Why do you remember that?" I said, "Because I love Oreos." Um, and she called me because we always call each other like every day, checking okay. up on each other. And she said, "When are you going to start your business?" And I said, "What? What are you talking about?" <laughs> she said, "I mentor so many young people." who want to start a business and an organization and you know they always picking my brain because she has an organization that's doing very well and she said the problem is they don't have any skin in the game okay she said everybody want to be great but they don't have what it takes they don't have the grassroots level they haven't been in the trenches she said you my boy been in the trenches like you have meat on your bone she said so it's a difference between having just skin in the game you got meat on your bone and she said, so what I need for you to do is really tap in and figure out what you want to do. And so I literally went home and like, not isolate myself, but had like a, a moment to be creative and just to think. Yeah, so sometimes, I mean, TV. yeah, it's an isolation, but isolation doesn't always have to be a negative thing. Exactly. It can be very empowering. And a lot of people take sabbaticals because that's what a sabbatical yeah, is, that's right? Um, taking a sabbatical, isolating yourself from like all your other responsibilities to be able to focus on one thing and get that creativity. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so the reason why I always talk about her when I give interviews or I talk about how I started to come back, I always pay homage to her because she did something. And I always tell students, these are the type of friends or the type of people that should be in your circle. People that acknowledge that one, you have a gift, but also people that are going to challenge you Okay. to be better. So you just don't want people that are yes people. Mm-hmm. Oh, you good, you good. If you, as my grandmother used to say, if you slip hanging, 
If my slip hanging show me, tell me. <laughs> Not right? slip show yeah, like if my slip showing, like, let me know. Is there a tag on yeah, my shoe? Oh, African American women proverb. He- hello. <laughs> you heard it all the time. You, and see, my grandmother sung in the choir, so you know they going up. You, you know they going up in the choir. Girl, fix this. Okay. Choir, you know, so it, it was that same life coaching, right? And so she told me she was like, hone in on your gift, like do what you go back to your first love. And my first love was writing. It was broadcasting. My degree is in communication, journalism. I learned print and broadcasting while I was in college. And I fell in love with it. But here's the thing, and I'm going to say this to anybody who was going to college, my seniors that are graduating and you want to do journalism, don't believe the hype. It's a great field. We love it. We enjoy it. But don't go in thinking you can get a camera crew. Because my dumb <laughs> self, <laughs> you're going to crack up. My dumb self went in thinking, oh, I'm just going to be right in here. I'm going to be at the little TV studio on campus, radio station. That's it, right? N- no. You have to put, like, segments together. You have to carry your own lighting, your own microphone. And God forbid you get up there and rent out the microphone and the lighting, and the microphone has a dead battery. And you are off campus with no car. Now you got to wait for the next bus Woo. to get back. And the can and the lab then closed. Let me tell you something. Get Them shuttle buses is not reliable at all. <laughs> at all. You so, better so, off so walking. It's those things that you gotta think about. And see, up here you guys had an advantage because see y'all had city buses and stuff. But see, we had the school, we had the um, university buses. So the university bus weren't as reliable. And the city bus, I don't even think I even knew where to catch the city bus in Greenville. But anyway. Um, back to 2020, um, she gave me a task. So this is where the challenge comes in, challenging your friends to be better, right? Okay. She said, I need you within the next week or two that I talk to you, I need you to give me an LLC. Mm. Like, I need you to have an LLC business plan or something like together. So I said, all right. So I did the whole isolation thing like we talked about. And I was like, "Mm, I want to call it something dealing with black life because at the time you had George Floyd uh, murder that took place you had um, the protests that were happening you had so much going on at the same time so this is like 2020 this like, is 2020 this is we're 2020 talking about, this, we're talking about like pandemic May, we just June. got in there they told us yes. we couldn't go outside they yes. slapped them doors on us and yes. the locks and said child y'all can't go out this yes. is how early we're talking yes like okay. I was I was I'll tell you this, it was maybe the same week, I want to say it was the same week of the George Floyd murder, because oh, you know God. what, I remember I was laying on the couch, and this sounds so, some people may call it, you know, spooky or whatever, but it's really true, I fell asleep on my couch, and I woke up, and it was just like I had a dream, it's like, the name of your thing should be something about black life, call it Black Life Magazine, or whatever you're going to call it, mm-hmm. and so I went to look up the different um, synonyms for black. Okay. And I tell the story everywhere I go. Everything that was in the thesaurus was negative. You know, mysterious, evil, negative. Um, uh, some other stuff that I can't even go through, but it was crazy. I was like, this is not what my black is. Right. And so I said, well, let me look up what could black could be translated to in other languages. And I definitely wasn't about to put Negro. Because I said, I can hear my grandma's <laughs> Let me tell you something. 
My grandparents are from the South, and they and they form a sharecroppers. They would have came at me with a switch, like, boy, what? Yeah. <laughs> they would have been like, what's the name of your company? So that's when I um, came up with uh, Noir or Noir. Uh, which is French for black. Yeah. And granted, it, it's funny, it's the feminine version with the E on it. Okay. And it was funny because it kind of drew in, that energy drew in all the sisters because when I put out there, because at first I was just going to do a personal blog and just talk okay. about what was life like as a black man living in America during that time and being an educator because I'm 12 months at that time. I was a 12-month um, educator and we were completely virtual. So dealing with that and, you know, the stress of being safe, well, no, I had to start going to work to do, like, something once or twice a week. But being in person, catching the bus and, like, seeing nobody on the bus or seeing nobody on the truck, like, it was like, it was like being in a Stephen King movie. For oh, real, no, for not real. a Stephen King movie. Yeah, All that, what's that one? The Stand? Yeah, it was, it was given the Stand. <laughs> <laughs> the book, the movie, every, Ooh, all of it. Okay. Um... But I was going to do that. And something said, invite other people to do it with you. That makes it more fun. And that's when I reached out to friends. And I put it out there. And it was the sisters that lifted me up. They came in like a flood. Like friends that I knew from college, uh, church, or that I had worked with over the years. Mm -hmm. Like, I would love to write for the magazine. I would love to write for this blog. And that's how we started. Okay. And, um, you know, I brought in other people. I didn't just want it to be, you know, from a female perspective, but I also wanted male perspective. I wanted non-binary perspective. I wanted to create a space for everybody. Because I always go off of what um, I think Marcus Garvey said it. Our biggest threat is not organizing to the black people. Like, our biggest threat is that we don't get together. I don't care what you do, what you think, or none of that. We have it's so funny because somebody... Oh. It's so funny because um, last week was Malcolm X's birthday, and so somebody had uplifted a quote basically from Malcolm X, basically saying that he said the problem wasn't that we were outnumbered, but the problem is that we were outorganized. Mm -hmm. So it's just funny that you brought that up. Oh, yeah. And you know... Uh, Malcolm X was a prodigy. Well, not a prodigy, but he was, I guess you would say, a student of Marcus, Garvey, Marcus Garvey's teachings because his father um, was a follower or read Marcus Garvey philosophy a lot to them. So, you know, you, you hear about that in his book when he mm -hmm. talks about his own life, right? But I wanted to create a space where anybody, as, uh, more so anybody under the black diaspora could come and be themselves and just be creative right. talk about those things that were impacting our community and so um from there it just expanded and so i'm currently trying to work on my uh third season of the podcast which is new our life presents uh what do you feature on the podcast Say that again. What do you usually feature on the podcast? So, the first season... Well, maybe... Let me... I'm sorry. I don't want to cut it off. Oh, but maybe man. let's say... Let me ask you a more general question. That way you can kind of go through all of it, right? Okay. Um, you already said that Noir Life is literally something like inspired by black life. So, that would give me 
the impression that this is a black concentrated publication. Yes. Right? So, just talk about the content. Like, okay. you know, so you it is a media company, so it's not just the magazine. Um, like you said, it's a podcast. You also do a radio. Um, yeah, talk about it all. Go so, through it. <laughs> so, with the podcast, the first season, I wanted to highlight friends who had their own businesses. Okay. And organizations. So, I would talk to them about you know, why did they start their organization? Why did they start their business? And how does it impact our community? And we would get into other things about their life. And um, that it, it went from there. And then the second season, we expanded and we started talking about more so um, not just businesses and entrepreneurship, but we dove into, we, we dug a little deeper. And that's one thing I said, I said each season, I want to dig deeper and deeper. Absolutely. You're never supposed to stay in the same yeah. way. I mean, you're trying to... It's Oprah. It, right? It's Because, you know, people forget that Oprah was giving, like, Jerry Springer very much. Like, Mari Jerry Springer when she first started. Yes. And then it expanded into something totally different. And changed the whole mm-hmm. freaking And she world. stepped away from that lane, which is why she got more popular and the more appeal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so, you're doing what you're supposed to do. And I think that's the beautiful part about it, meeting the different people. So... The second season was dealing with cultural issues or dealing with issues in general. So, you know, um, I interviewed a, a brother who um, identifies as he, him, and he's a therapist. And he talked about the LGBT community and the culture and the divide within the black community and, um, you know, how you know, in LGBT is not something fairly new, but it's always been there since indigenous times, even before slavery, right? Absolutely. Um, So he he talked about that. I talked with um, one sister who uh, talked about, you know, starting her own juicing company and why juicing was important and how it changed her health and how she had to change her lifestyle. She said, I want to not just do this for me and my family, but let me send it out to my entire community. Okay. And so sharing what she learned from juicing and how it's better for your body, you know. And I talked with, um, also that was the same season that I interviewed one of my good friends who worked with me um, about Asian and black, the Asian community and the black community relations. Right. Um, She's Asian. She's Chinese. Grew up in a, uh, Christian Chinese family. Uh, she's a first generation American. And we talked about those uh, dynamics. Like, what was that like? And we even paid homage to, um, I'm going to get her name wrong, but the last name is Harlan. Okay. I guess Harlan. Uh, and I'm going to give a quick little snip about that. But that's the young lady who was murdered. Let's call it what it is. She was murdered by a Korean store owner. And oh, Letitia Harlan. Letitia mm-hmm. Harlan. Um, or is and, Letitia Harris? One of the other. Th- yeah. I know you're talking about, no it, disrespect. I yeah. can't exactly who you're talking about. And we, and we pay homage to her at the very beginning of the podcast. Like the LA. Like for LA. In LA. And that, that was, was one of the things that sparked exactly. the LA riots because people thought, oh, it was Rodney King. No, that was the bum. Yep. That was the, the match that, that, everybody. Yep. that just said everybody. It was the straw that broke the camel's back, basically. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you think about the 2020 uprisings a lot of people would be like oh george floyd you know was murdered and then people just started to march and i'm like well no No. we had literally by that point lived through three months already of just like 
complete disregard for people's lives in a pandemic and people had nothing and you think that just that death like we've been and this is no not to minimize the movement and what we've already been doing we had already been marching out in the streets for people that's right but like something like that just puts the cherry on top of how much like disregard and how much displacement we already feel and that we already experience every day yeah and and you know I often go by this with with uh, with the podcast, the magazine, um, and with the new radio station, which we're about to um, we're in talks with iHeartRadio again about being on air. Um, Free Melanin Sounds Radio, FM Sounds Radio, isn't that cute? How, Here he is. You know how you know we didn't even re- I didn't realize until I was writing it down one night. I was like, oh my god, FM Sounds Radio. But anyway, Free Melanin Sounds Radio. Um, where we're going to be featuring podcasts and live shows and um, music. I wanted to create a space also, especially for black creatives, to put their music on. Mm-hmm. Um, especially independent artists, you know, that's not, you know, represented by anybody. And they just want to get their music out there. I wanted to be that person because I worked for a magazine where we would go out and interview these independent artists mm-hmm. and labels. So um, that that's another piece of my heart and why I do what I do. But I always quote... Um, people that I love and I admire. Nina Simone once said in an interview, the artist's duty is to reflect the times. So when I started New Our Life in 2020, in June, we didn't debut until August of 2020, but June and July was all the groundwork going in, designing the website, how this is going to look, how that is going to look. I thought about that kept echoing in my psyche. Okay. Like it's my duty. We're artists, has writers, journalists, reporters, opteds. Whether you work for a large company or a small company, it is your duty to reflect the times. You cannot avoid not talking about what's going on around you. Exactly. Now I'm I'm not saying we should relive trauma over and over again. Yeah, like be the dead dwell horse. Dwell on it. Dwell on it. But acknowledge it, right? Absolutely. Um, But also create some space for joy, too. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of positive stuff going on in Philly. There's a lot of positive stuff happening in the black community that we don't highlight and talk about. So that's one of the reasons, like, we want to get out there and we want to do it all. Like, yeah, I'm going to tell you some of the bad, ugly stuff that's happening. But let me show you what's going on that's good, that's positive. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, Because, I mean, specifically here at, like, Germantown Info Hub, you know, like, when it comes to our kind of journalism, it isn't traditional, right? So, we center the community. It's community-centered. Then it's also solutions-based. And so, like, not necessarily saying that what we're doing is the same, but it kind of has that same kind of undertone of let's step away from the normal um, and see how else we can talk about things, right? That's right. So, I get exactly what you mean. So, do you ever receive hate for this kind of content? <laughs> um, I haven't. I'm not going to say... Good. I, I'll say this. That's actually surprising. I, I know. I'll say this. <laughs> I I don't want to sound crazy. Okay, I'll sound crazy because you know I'm crazy. Sound crazy. That's fine. <laughs> Come on, we're going to work I'll it. I'll say this. No one has been bold enough to say it to my face. Okay. Or to write me about it. That makes a lot and of sense. And I'll say this. A lot of my people on the team, because I don't say, oh, it's me. I'm the CEO. I'm the founder. And then it's everybody else. No. 
my team, my ride or dies, like everybody that's been with me, you know, from day one, whether they left or not, y'all still, everybody my day ones. Everybody's still my fam. And so for me, it's like people have come back and said, I love what you're writing. I love what people are writing. I love your podcast. I love this and I love that. And it's funny because sometimes, and this is why I tell people you can't judge a book by its cover, right? Because some people who have approached me and said they love this stuff, I'd be like, I thought you were so conservative mm-hmm. and so like traditional. And they say that you love this progressive liberation. Sometimes people just say things to say things. Yeah, and and then, but then yeah. I'd be like, hold up. It's the but, politics of it all. Yeah, it's the, it, the polite but, politics. Exactly. But then to hear them say like, no, I subscribe to your magazine. Like I legit love all the stories that come out. And I'm like, that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Because, and I'm I'm big on putting, like, my team out there. Like, if somebody does something, like, whether it's a magazine win, a media company win, or a personal win, I'm shouting them out. Like, yo, y'all know so-and-so did this. Y'all know so-and-so did that. Y'all check out the story. And da-da-da-da. Um, but I love it. I, but, I, but it's funny. I, I haven't received any hate from it. I mean, I'm sure there are people that have disagreed with some of the stuff we write about, yeah. especially me, because most of my stuff from the editor's desk is op-ed, right? So I have talked about some things uh, I haven't written in a while, because y'all know, like we discussed earlier, you know, writing is not something that you just do in an hour. Exactly. <laughs> like, we can't just pop out something, a 1,000 word essay and be yeah, like... No, people <laughs> don't realize, like, I got, you see this notepad? Thank you. You see this notepad? I mean, like, I got notes in my phone. We like, create flows, all of that. Like, yeah. and we're our own biggest critiques. People yeah. don't realize our own biggest critics. Yeah. You know, it's going to be some grammar hits listening, trying to correct me, child. Uh, <laughs> Here they come. Here they come, the English teachers with the okay. red pen. Um, but yeah, like, we're always our own biggest critics. And yeah. people don't realize that, like, even when we, like, critique our own work, we go back and we read it. We be like, child, what am I saying? Like, what yeah. am I doing? And then, like, it's almost the most dramatic thing in the world to get a critique back from, like, another editor or something of the sort. Like, I don't know. Since you are the editor-in-chief, I don't know if anybody ever goes over your stuff or if you ever ask anybody, but... Oh, I do. Yeah, to see... <laughs> oh, I do. I'd be like, read my stuff. Tell yeah, me Yeah, like, just to see somebody, like, <laughs> it is in your best interest. And again, I have an editor. Shout out to Gene. Um, who, like, always gives me the best advice and the best you know, feedback for my pieces. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt, but I also don't take it personal. Yeah. Right? But, like, we take our work very personal. Yes. Like, we like Erica Badu. Like, we're artists and we're sensitive about our ish, right? Right? Come like, on. you know. <laughs> like, that's the truth, though. But it's hard work. It's very hard work. Yeah. You don't realize how hard that work is. Because it's, like, not just coming up with something. It's the evidence behind it. The fact-checking. Yes. The sourcing, <laughs> like, you know, and then putting it all together, making sense out of the bigger picture that yes. everybody you talk to. You and then know. the timing. Yeah. The timing has to be right because I have a bunch of stuff. Like I said, I have a bunch of notes on my phone from stories I want to write about or have, do as op-deads or interviews, but I haven't gotten them yet because it's like the timing has to be just right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you haven't received hate. Which is an amazing thing. (laughs) Yes. However, as the independent, self-owned founder and editor-in-chief, what are some of the challenges of that? Uh, Bills. 
Okay. <laughs> what Dustin Shaw said, bills, bills, okay. bills. Okay. Paper telephone bills. Okay. I'm telling you because um, it's definitely a labor of love, and that's why I tell people all the time when I ask for writers to submit stuff or submit poetry and things like that, I, I let them let it be known we're a team here, we're a community. Um, I can't pay you, but I can love yeah. you. And when you publish a story, that's your story. I'm not going to take the rights and be like, oh, that's my story because all my... No, 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 no. You take these stories. That's why I have it linked up so every story is linked to a person. So if you ever have another interview or something coming up and they want to see writing samples from you, you can type in your name and send it to them, all your stuff, like a portfolio of your stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, very supportive in that aspect. So... That's one of the challenges for me, like making sure that I'm financially making sure all the bills are paid. And so when people jump on air, <laughs> it won't be dead air, literally. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, and even though our radio station, Free Melanin Sounds, is Internet radio, people can operate from home. It's still like you still have to pay that radio fee. You know, and then also um, Canva, even though people are like, oh, that's just a phone app. And it's only no, girl, let me tell you Canva something. Canva will send you an email real quick. Child, like, Canva <laughs> is it. And especially if you get the Pro Tools, you pay that like that twelve ninety nine. dollars 99 The background will You can't tell me I'm not Photoshopping. Please stop playing. They will please. show up. They send you a thing a week ahead of time. Like, uh, yeah. You um, only pay your bill. Please keep in mind, I have saw Citizens Bank advertisements that have used Canva templates and backgrounds. I saw it with yes. my own eyes. I saw the same And I'm one. like, yo, this is one. on Canva. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. I'm like, and I come out, I have designed way more exquisite, you know, flyers, templates, social media yes. posts. Yes, you have. And I have yes. saw actual brands create. And I've done it all through Canva. And people ask me currently, they... I mean, not currently, constantly, again, for the Grammy area girls. Um, <laughs> they ask me constantly, who does your graphics? Who does your graphics? And I'm like, me. Oh, what do you use? What do you use? Do you use, like, Photoshop or something? Do you Or Adobe Suite? And I'm like, oh, no. Like, Adobe Suite is too complicated for me. I use Canva. Really? You did that on Canva? I got Canva. And I'm like, well, you ain't using Canva the way I'm using Canva, girl. Right? Because right? <laughs> I, I look at some of your stuff on Instagram, and I'm like, that is so good. Like, oh my God. But no. Erica I, I, says the same thing. You know, Erica, my sibling. Yes. So <laughs> I think people, I don't think people understand like the work that goes into all of that. And then um, I think the other challenge is, uh, and I just had this conversation with someone, um, a challenge that sometimes I think all of us deal with. Sometimes you can be so hyped on a negative that you forget the positive. Okay. And so trying to maintain that balance. So um, in a recent interview I did, um, I mentioned collaboration is not always the move. Okay. And what I mean by that, everybody can't be on your team. Yeah. No. You can be on the team, just not my team. Absolutely. <laughs> and it doesn't. It also doesn't mean that there's any negative feelings. Yeah. Sometimes like time just doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Link up. Sometimes somebody is more busy. And people have their own projects. Yeah. Which means that sometimes people are so invested in their projects, which you can't be mad about. That's but right. But at the same time, child, I need a little bit of help over here on my project. That's so right. So maybe you got to go do your own thing and that's okay. You got to blossom. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I've learned that, you know, there are a lot of people who um, want to be part of what we're doing, but right now it may not be right for them. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to allow them to grow because 
people allowed me to grow and evolve, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then I look at the positive side of it, um, which I had to learn to do. I have a beautiful team that works with me. Right. I'm talking about not just people who are currently working with me, but those who, like yourself, like you was one of the first writers that jumped on my team. And like we've been fam ever since. It's true. And, and I mean, so, to be honest, I mean, the situation I described was kind of the same thing. Yes. It's like I had so much going on and I felt like it was actually mm-hmm. a disservice of me to stay a part of your team. You know, I could not contribute as much. Yeah. As you may have expected. And that was fine, right? Yeah. Literally, it was just, hey, fam, like, you know, I know I made this commitment, but as you know, like, my schedule was getting really busy and yes. it was no love loss. Clearly, you're sitting here, we're in, we're talking it up, and like, that's just it. That's what we do. <laughs> and I think that comes along with um, being mature. Yeah. Being mature and making those what we call adulting, grown up decisions, mm-hmm. knowing when to leave, when to stay, um, saying, and, and that's not just that's for every aspect of your life. And I think for me, um, that's what keeps the magazine evolving. That's what keeps the company evolving because I'm always learning something. I let me, I, and I always laugh about this. I don't know everything, and. I won't learn it all in one night. I didn't learn it all in the first year. I didn't learn it all in the second year because we just, we're about to approach our second birthday. Oh no. Yeah, we're about to approach our second birthday. So my thing is, I want people to understand that, you know, you're always learning something new, either about yourself, about the business, because um, I don't know, you know, this may be something further down in the interview, but that's how I came up with the connect an app okay for the company um which basically it gives you access to everything new our life so the magazine the mm-hmm. radio station uh the yeah the magazine the radio station the um uh, podcast and even community resources because in the beginning like i said we started right in the thick of covid it was covid resources and so now because because we're not out of this pandemic, let's be real. We're really okay, not, out. not at all. Um, but to evolve with times, I changed it from COVID resources to community resources. And so I added some, you know, local organizations such as Make the Distinction, mm-hmm. 100 Black Men, um, all those organizations that have mentoring components to them, to the list of you know, this is what you can get your family involved with. Because they're resources. And they're, y'all have, yeah. Y'all, and 100 Black Men has definitely, like, done a lot. I know specifically in the Germantown neighborhood as well. So, like, yes. it makes sense that you would add those people. Um, So, you said further down the interview, child, but I don't know. But I don't know if you know, but we have already been talking for 50 minutes. <laughs> and there is an hour slot on this radio. <laughs> so, I got one more question for you. I'm going to need to just speed this up, Chad. Okay, okay, okay. I got you. I got you. I got you. It is all good. You know, we fam. You yes. Got, you got at least a good two to two to four minutes to answer okay. this. So, you're coming up on two years, which is an amazing feat for you. Where do you see yourself taking Noir Life five years from now? What do you want to look back and say... I'm happy I've done this, but now I'm off to do this. Connected to noir life, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I guess, like, what are your goals? Like, not even seeing yourself in five years, but within that five years, what do you want to see 
yourself doing with it? Honestly, I want it to be a household name. Okay. I Come on, want, Ebony, Jack. I, right? I want it to be up there with the, the greats. Okay, I want it to be up there with the okay. greats because that's what I grew up on. I grew up on Ebony and Jack mm-hmm. and Essence. I grew up on those black owned and operated publications, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up, you know... On Oprah. On Oprah. I grew up... Um, BET. Yeah. You know, it was those type of media outlets that were black operated owned. You know, they had black content. They talked about the community. They talked about people that look like me. Absolutely. And so, um, which goes into my last part, I want to create something that the next generation is one, me creating a legacy, right? But it's also creating something for the gen- next generation to take on and to run with the baton, right? And so that's why, you know, I'm about to expand into another venture and start like a little a little mentoring program with the company and show kids like how to do things behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Because it's we're not always going to be here. Like, let's be real. Like before there was us, there was... Oprah, there was John Johnson's of the world, there was Bob Johnson's of the world, there was um, Ida B. Wells. I was just about to say that. There was Ida (laughs) B. Wells, baby. She was a journalist. There was Ida B. Wells who laid the foundation for what all of us, I don't care who you are, radio, podcast, whatever, if you black of the diaspora, Ida B. Wells, a black woman, paved the way. Mm -hmm. So. With that being said, she passed the baton to those that was in between her and us. And I want to be able to pass this baton to the next group. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's basically where I see us in five years. A household name, um, a legacy, and passing it on, sharing it with the next generation. I love that. And I am going to ask one more final question because I do want to get into your business a little bit. So as a, this just came to me. So before we go, really quickly, as a black owner, right, yourself may, you do this on your own. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've applied to grants or anything of the sort. And if you have, has that been a struggle? Has that been an issue or have you not tried to yet? Because, like, I just think about that disparity in general. So, because I have an LLC. Okay. And not a 501c3. Oh, it makes it hard to accept grants and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. it's a little bit more difficult. And then, also, I started in the pandemic, not before. So, a lot of businesses that were started before the pandemic, maybe, like, a year or two out from it, they were able to get certain grants that I wasn't eligible for. Like, the BBB show. Yeah. I mean, the girls (laughs) who couldn't get them was That's a whole nother episode. You know that. A whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. But yeah, um, I'm working on some stuff behind the scenes with some, um, I'm getting some legal advice on what it would look like um, in terms of having a nonprofit component. Not making the entire company nonprofit, but having that nonprofit component with the mentoring program. And so we can start bringing in those. those sponsors and that money. Yeah, I was going to say, well, I guess sponsors would. I guess yeah. sponsors would be more appropriate. Yeah, and we've had some great sponsors. We had Tech Core too. Okay. Um, by Joel Wilson. We had uh, 100 Black Men. Okay. Uh, we've had leukemia, the Leukemia and Lafomia Society of Eastern 
PA and Delaware Valley. Yes, so um, come on, get that name yes, right. Okay. Yes, so they they've been sponsors for the past um, couple of years, and so we're looking for new sponsors because we got bills to pay. Uh, I will be releasing a sponsorship package soon um, because, like I said, we're in talks with um, iHeart, and that's a huge um, outlet. And I mean, when like I said before, they had gave us an opportunity before, and we took it. Um, and it worked out well, but now we're back at the table for another opportunity with them. And so, yeah, every, everything costs money. You know, uh, I'm not even going to hold you. I'm not going to lie to you. Money makes the world go round in, in some places. And so, um, you know, sponsorships are important. But uh, what I want to do with the mentoring piece that I talked about earlier, the component I definitely want to get to a point where I can pay those students. Mm-hmm. Like, give them a little stipend. Not a whole lot, but something Absolutely. to say, something you know you what? You did something. You learned Absolutely. something. Thank you for your time because you didn't have to do it. Yeah. So, you want to be able so. to give back in a sense, I feel. Yeah. Well, that all sounds good. Um, David, it was amazing having you on the Thank Info you. Hub Hour. And I really appreciate you sitting down with me and just talking about that, like, very niche, very isolated experience of, like, being somebody who like runs a publication and like goes through the motions of it all, right? A media yeah. company is not like listen, doing one form of medium, like doing one medium is hard enough. So to have your own like media company, be running all those different avenues, podcasts, like sometimes I do videos, right? Yes. Um the the, the print, like all of that is and, it's and a I, lot. And I just have to shout these people out. Niche, uh Reese. Lindsay, Yaya, Radimus, Manny, uh, Mama Mary, yes. uh, DJ Zolo, DJ Nita, uh, uh, Falami, uh, Erica from the plant shop in Germantown. Yes, like, come on, I got to shop out all these people who have literally helped pave the way. If I miss your name, charge it to my head, not my heart. Um, <laughs> like, for real, like, it's so many people. Yourself. Who have really like helped put us out there? So thank you it. to all of y'all. I love y'all because you you know there's no iron team. Let's be real. Absolutely, it's only I mean it's an E and there's an E and we. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we might not be Holla speaking back. French, but here we are. Okay, David. Well, again, it was really good having you. I hope to have you back soon. Definitely. And for folks who want to tune in and learn more about Noir Life, you can visit noirlife.org. How can they access the app? They can download it on Apple. It's available now. It's uh, it's going to show up as This Is Noir. Um, but once you download it, it'll be The Connect. Um, also on Google Play Store, it's The Connect. So Wonderful. And there you have it. Thank you again, David. And we hope to have you back soon, okay? Thank you so much. Holla back. Well, Germantown, it is about that time. If you have a story that you want to hear covered, please contact us at gtown.infohub at gmail.com. Or you can text InfoHub to 73224 to start asking us some questions. And additionally, we encourage listeners to text the Equally Informed Philly text line, another program under Resolve Philly, which allows Philadelphians to gain access to information regarding Philadelphia services. Equally Informed Philly is a direct response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Their team works to bridge the information divide, reducing barriers for vulnerable residents who need trustworthy information to live and thrive in Philadelphia. They also invest deeply in underestimated voices and community storytellers. Equally Informed provides a community-driven print newsletter 
and the Equal Info line, a free bilingual English and Spanish question and answer texting service that also provides vetted local news and resources to subscribers. To start asking questions, text Equal Info to 73224. And that's about it. Remember, I am Rashida Jamu, a.k.a. Philly's Freedom John. Thank you to David Cheney for joining us today. Thank you to our neighbors for listening and engaging as always. And until next time, good night, Germantown.